Thank you, Pastor Neil. Um, let's give the band a, like, I always like to affirm our young people. Let's give them a big round. Of, oh, okay, you can stop now. That's fine. <laughs> um, I, I've been, for those of you who don't know, end of last term, I had about probably um, six weeks off. And um, it was, uh, I could say it was a pretty hard time for me. And, uh, but I'm so thankful to be back. Um, God, you know, he healed through, uh, which, he, which I really needed, some healing and some time to rest. And um, I came back to work uh, this term, and oh man, it was so good to set foot into chaplaincy, and I was welcomed by the team. I love working in a team. We're so blessed here at North Point to have a team um, led by Pastor Neil, and he's such a great leader that he doesn't, he sort of doesn't, well, he leads, but he makes it feel like we are all leading with him, and I really love that. And I think that's instilled in our church at the moment. And it wasn't long before I got back into school that I realised that I had a few camps to go to, a year six camp followed by a year 10 camp, followed by Pathfinder, Pathfinder camp to start it off, um, and then a ministry retreat in the middle. So it's been like this crazy, like two to three weeks back at school, but it's been amazing. Um, and I was so blessed to go on year 10 camp, which went up to 1770. Yes, through work, I got paid to go across to the reef, um, do some snorkelling. Yeah, I know you're jealous. It was so good. Some of the kids are here that went on it. I discovered some things about Ben and Taylor Swift. Um, that probably doesn't need to be said any further, Ben. Um, he loves singing Taylor Swift. That's good. That's okay, mate. You know, like, Taylor Swift's cool. Don't be embarrassed by it. You know, live by it. And um, had some cool time with some teachers. Brett, you were there. Um, it was great to hang out. And I don't know if there's any others that were on our trip. I'm trying to see. Oh, Metsy, come on, mate. Metsy at the back. Uh, he and I did a lot of driving together. And one of the things that I discovered, because I had a recent hairdo, if you hadn't noticed, um, you probably had noticed, I lost some hair. But you know the greatest thing about a haircut like this is that when it's really hot and you get into the bus and um, it's stinking hot, we were in the minibus most of the time. We weren't in the big, nice, cool, luxurious bus. Um, Mr. Metz and myself, we, we were in that. And so was uh, Miss Hindley. You, you unfortunately had to do that at times, and we, we, we sort of went through. But one of the greatest things about a haircut like this is that when you sit under the aircon, man, it cools you down fast. And I suggest, I suggest is that it sweats really easily because there's no hair there, right, to kind of... And I forgot my little um, rag today, so I'm hoping it's sitting under the aircon, hoping it's going to be cool because it does sweat a lot more because there's no hair to absorb that. So there's some downsides to it and also sun. Sun's real bad. Um, didn't get sunburned, thanks to um, our team who had sunscreen going all day long and putting on. So we had a great time up there, um, such an awesome trip, and um, yeah, thank you for the school and, and what we've been. And here we are, I've discovered over the past three weeks, um, in the back end of all that, we're doing this series called Guardrails. And I knew I was down to, to preach on something, I knew it was guardrails, but I never actually looked at what part of guardrails I was going to do, right? Um, and I knew that it was coming up. Every time, maybe I need to stand back. Is that what I've got to do? You know, like me coming forward. And uh, on, this, on, on this, you know, all these things that are happening, I just kind of like put everything in a row, laid all my ducks out in a row and went, okay, um, Pathfinder camp, year six camp, uh, minister's retreat, which was kind of cool too, wasn't it? That was really nice on the beach. Um, year 10 camp, on the way home, let's check out what I'm actually speaking about. 
And I opened up my laptop, it was probably a bit of a mistake, left it till Thursday, and discovered that today, in our guardrail, that we're going to be talking about money and money matters. Mm. That's what I did, right? Silence. I went, what? Like, I'm like the worst person to talk to other people about money. Like, and I, I think I even voiced this in my, my travels. And then I started to sort of think about it and go over it and realise that there's this really cool thing um, that, that, that is going to come out of today. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk to you about ways that you can uh, give to the church. I know that some of you are pretty nervous about that right now. We're not sort of going into that space. It's not here to say, hey, um, you know, Pastor Neil needs a new car work. It's not about that today. You can all, you know, sigh of relief. It's not about that today. Um, we're going to, as we'll discover, to work out. But when I started to look at this particular subject, there was a clear thing that I've discovered from an early age. First world culture in Australia, we are consumers. And we love to consume. We love to look across at the neighbour and go, man, he's bought a new big boat. I've got to get myself a big boat. Uh, so I need to go to work. And it was instilled in me a young age from like day dot, work hard, get stuff, be happy. Work hard, get stuff, be happy. And so my happiness from a young age was tied up I would work long hours driving to guardrails at five o'clock in the morning so that we could work, get stuff, be happy. And our whole culture, our whole world being is, is revolved around that and we've actually transferred that into our church setting. We've transferred this into where we come to church week in, week out. Come to church. Get stuff, be happy. Come to church, get stuff, be happy. Come to church, hear a sermon on money, go home, hopefully happy. And that's what our consumeristic culture, our well-being is all tied up in. And there's something really dangerous about this. And so we're going to talk a little about this today, tease some of this out as we look at this particular guard rail. I grew up, I believed, this was my belief, <coughs> excuse me, I believed by age 40, yes, age 40, for those of you who might think that I'm younger than that, thank you, but I'm over, that I'd be retired. Come on now, who has thought that? There's got to be someone in the building, look at our young people. When I was like 16, 17, 18, I believed by age 40, I'd be retired, sitting on some yacht, some island, kicking back, traveling, doing whatever I wanted to, retired. By age 25, I soon realized that this was going to be an impossibility. And then I had more kids and more kids and realized that maybe this is a dream for age 67 or 68 when we retire. But isn't it funny how our worldview or what we think we can or what we do is all revolves around this idea of money. We need money, right? Money is important. Money helps us to get from A to B. 
money is important. And so to, to stay in tune with guardrails, and we got a definition earlier of guardrails. I thought we'd revisit that definition. Um, I wouldn't have given you two lollipops, but you're far more gracious than me, Pastor Neil. But can anyone actually recite what we've been learning? You, you said it about right. You said it in layman's terms. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what that means. Guardrails. It's, it's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. You kind of said that, right? Do you agree? But that's like pretty, pretty cool when you think about it. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. In other words, it's a rail of safety put where? In the danger zone? No, it's put in the safety zone. And so the rail is there to stop us from landing in the danger zone. And no matter what you see on Fast and the Furious and whatever you can other side of those rails, if they weren't there. And so today in particular, I've already given it away, we're going to be looking at financial guardrails. Um, and they kind of like it's... Jesus talks a lot about, and you mightn't believe this, but he does, like he talks a lot about financial problems. He also talks a lot about sex, as we discovered last week. Who, who cringed a bit through last week? Who struggled when we started talking about real stuff and sex? And hey, it's a bit weird, it's a bit different. But culture tells us, culture tells us that the church is what about sex? It's against sex. And hopefully last week, I haven't listened to it, I'm sorry. Lauren, if she's here, I'm sorry. But hopefully you got that church is not against sex. In fact, it is something that has been given by God for us. It's actually a good thing. And also that the church wants my money. That's a culture, that's a thing, isn't it? That's a real thing. The church is against sex and the church wants my money, but I'm going to say today we will dispel both of these. Well, hopefully last week it was dispelled. Today we're going to work on the bottom one. And like these are the two core areas. Like when I'm in pastoral ministry, which I haven't been in for, some, for a little while, but when I was, these are the two things, all right? These are the two things that people adult people I'm talking about, that come to me with issues and problems that are happening, and I guarantee 90% of them, maybe more, it's either something's going wrong in their sex, sex life, or someone's done something wrong, or money. They're the two things that stress us out the most, relationships and money. Two things that, that, that cause Myself, the greatest stress as a pastor as I try and counsel people through the money. And culture says that the church is against both things. God created it. So what does it mean for us today? Let's go to the Bible. I always figure like to find out answers, the best that we can do is probably go to Scripture. And if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you've got, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is actually the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus is uh, he's gathered, all these people have followed him. 
and they're sitting on, they're sitting on this hill, and he's giving wisdom. It's, it's like one of the, probably the best recorded sermons that Jesus spoke. And he talks a lot about these two areas which we've just spoken about. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, we, we begin to see Jesus. And I love how Jesus starts out. Like he just like throws like a, a little hook in there to try and say, hey, what are you talking about? And he begins by saying, no one can serve two masters. Okay. No one can serve two masters. I don't know about you, I don't have any masters, um, apart from my wife who tells me what I can and can't do at times, but, you know, that's meant to be a union, right? So technically, she's not a master of me. Um, no one can serve two... I don't have a master. So what does this mean? And it goes on to say, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. I'm reading from, I think, NIV today. NLT has some really interesting points in there as well. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And people are going, what is Jesus talking about? You know, he's devoting, he's despising, he's talking about masters. What's this got to do with money? And when you look at that, that, that word, um, that Greek word, masters, it's that word curious, curious. Who is in charge by virtue or possession or ownership. So this is someone who has ownership over you. It's like, who's your master? Who, who looks over you? Who has ownership over you? What's the thing that, that, that's driving you? This is not talking about like um, God and Satan. It's talking about ownership. It's talking about who do you belong to? And it goes on, he hooks people in and he goes on to, to say, you cannot serve, he kind of opens it up, God and money. I think the NLT says something a little bit different. It's enslaved to money or something like that. You cannot serve God and money. And people are like, what? What's he, what does he mean? What's he, what's he talking about? No one can have two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Well, the primary issue regarding money is mastery. Do we have money or does money have us? And this is what he's talking about, ownership. The master is the ownership. Does money own you or is it the other way? Does God own you? Like that's plainly as I can put it. Who controls you? Who controls you? And, and, like, this can go with anything. This is not just about money. This could be anything in your life. You know, you can revert back to last week's talk, you know, about sex. Does that control you or does, or, or does God control you? It could be anything you could put into that place. But he's particularly talking about, in this passage on the Sermon on the Mount, what does money have? Like, who controls you, money or, or God? Um, and he goes on to talk about that. God does not want something from you. He wants something for you. And when we look at that whole scenario, what he's trying to say is that when we consume and consume and consume and it becomes hoarding, which is another way to say greed, we consume, consume, we hoard, we save up, 
We, we, we're looking for, for, for building our own kingdoms. You know, the, the car, the boat. And these are good things to have. But when it becomes our focus, when it becomes about our, our whole reason, and you'll see on this road, I'd love to drive this road. I don't know if my family likes to drive it with me because there's no guardrails on this road. And it's windy and it's tight. And there's no protection. And it leads to a brick wall of hoarding. Consuming and hoarding. Consume, spend, consume, spend. Consume, spend, hoard. Consume, spend, greed. Unbridled desire, unbridled fear, same root for both, greed. And greed's the assumption it's all for my consumption. Oh, did you see what I did there? Assumption, the assumption is, is that greed is all for my consumption. In other words, everything out there is for me to consume, 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 to have the latest iPhone, turn that over every two years, uh, have the latest whatever, and keep consuming, consuming, consuming. They're not bad things, by the way. I'm not saying again we're going to get to how that works. I'm not being negative to that because some of those things are okay. But consuming and consuming in an uncontrolled, without a guardrail, leads to hoarding and a brick wall. And it leads to greed. And if we fall into habits of overspending or hoarding, we're living as if there is no God until there's trouble. And when there's trouble, what do we do? Come on. Someone's got an answer to this. What do we do? When we go through all of this and we hit a brick wall, you can speak to me. Who do we turn to? Who do we go to to get us out of trouble? Yeah. Isn't that like kind of funny? We go to God to get us out of trouble. I was back in the, the church like, like a minute and um, just like struggling with like the whole aspect of how, how is this thing going to work? Um, uh, like my, my calling back in was kind of weird. We had actually, um, we got to a point where we had overspent, where we consumed, where we had consumed, where we had consumed. And we're at a point that I was hoarding and there was no guardrails. And I got to a point where I didn't know whether we were going to get out of it. And I have shared this story to some of you. You may know this story, but some of you, you don't. It kind of fits the point of today. And, and I was like, you know, consuming with alcohol and all sorts of other things, gambling and, and whatnot. And as a result, we were struggling financially. Um, you know, my wife had to work to, to do this. We upgraded from a house that we were comfortable in to a bigger house, because that's what you do. You've got to go to the the next step, right? And then you upgrade your car. And we were in that phase and we were spending beyond our means. And I didn't know how to get out of this phase. And so I was working, you know, like how do I, I do, I do extra work. I was taking on more jobs. Um, I, was, I was trying to, you know, work hard. That, that work ethic that has been instilled in me as a young age was, was coming through. And um, I came to a point where I could not think clearly. And the only thing that I could think about 
was I have to like, I need immediate money. Otherwise, we're going to go bankrupt. And so I, I planned, it was actually, we lived here fairly close at the ring bar. And I planned to rob a local set, local purchased a handgun. My children were just attending North Pine. I was like, I, I knew on the requests of my wife because she had given her heart to the Lord and I hadn't. And she was keeping that underneath there to herself. And, and, and I was consuming and hoarding. I was, I was killing our family. Solution in my brain at the time, which I look back and just go, what? Oh, Miss Page was there. She was in year 10 camp too. Yeah, sorry, I missed you before. My bad. I just picked you up in the corner of my eye. <laughs> and I was consuming. Oh, man. So, all right, my ADHD's got to slow down, right? <laughs> Have a drink. Mm. Consuming and hoarding. And I made this plan. Praise the Lord for a praying wife who was trying to work her way out of this particular problem that I was causing. I don't know how she actually hung on when I look back. And she prayed. And she got the kids to pray. And she sent them to North Pine Christian College. And I just said, whatever. I don't care. That's fine. And they began to do similar things. And praise the Lord for big camp, which we haven't had for how many years now? What, two years? Which has kind of been nice. (laughs) But... (laughs) But... (laughs) I, without big camp, I wouldn't stand here before you today. And, and one of my kids went along to the meeting, and you know this story probably already, but where I'm getting at is that God had, was intervening, and I had no idea. And one of my, instead of going to, to rob that 7-Eleven, my young child said, let's go, Dad, I need to go to big camp. I want to sit in there. We're watching like Veggie Tales in this little tent. And I went, whatever. No. And then she started crying. I said, all right, yes, let's go. And night one, and this guy's like, I'm sitting there, I had to drop her off. Joy was really sick, she was pregnant with um, Eliza, uh, who's, hey Eliza. Um, and like, she was really sick, and so it was left to me to do. I go and put the gun back up, and then I, I was actually off that night, take Flick into this space. She was like, year one, North Pine, with uh, Cameron, I think you're in that class. And there was um, a couple of others, I'm sure. Anyway. Uh, beside the point. And I sit in this meeting and I'm just going, why am I here? This is like the dumbest thing ever. This guy's like speaking about stuff and I just don't, and I'm like in the back corner. Anyway, I go, thank goodness it's over. And then I walk out and I meet a bunch of guys that are here and whatever, the story goes on. Anyway, this, what I'm getting to is that each night I plan to go out to fix my consuming and my hoarding and my consuming, my consuming, my consuming. Got to be like the neighbour next door. No guardrails. And then, Dad, can you take me? Sure. This went on for like five nights, four nights, five nights. Until Friday night came and the speaker just like hit my heart. And then I realised that what I'd been missing in my life See, what happens is, is when you have no space for God in here, you fill it with stuff, right? And I filled it with consuming like everything I could, consuming whatever was in front of me. And, and, 
And then when I met Jesus that night, praise the Lord, when I saw that he was there, it was like this weight just lifted off my shoulders. I used to worry about money like, like no tomorrow. And the moment I gave my heart to, to Jesus and God entered the space, the minute that happened, no word of a lie, I forgot about the bills. I was on such a high with God that I just forgot about all of that. One, one post in the ground. Still no rail, just a couple of posts. And, 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 and I began to build that, that guardrail. Over the next year, God called me into ministry and I ended up at Avondale, yada, 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 um, where I'm studying ministry. And like... I've got a couple of posts up, but I don't have the rails up yet. I'm like as rookie as they come when it comes to Christianity. I'm still struggling with consuming and hoarding. I'm not worrying about the needs where God, I just left it to God to supply, but I'm still worrying about it. Worrying what the next step will be. And I remember like um, we used to, I got a job at college mowing lawns. Um, it was really, it was good fun. We broke a lot of lawnmowers. <laughs> Right on month, um, hitting stuff and that. But anyway, side the point. And then me and the other pastor mate, Pastor David Gillespie. Where's Casey? There he. I see Casey and I see Jaden. Yeah, your dad. We're sitting. Just in case you didn't know, <laughs> we're sitting under this tree. Right. We'd been mowing all morning and we thought we deserved a break. We probably weren't supposed to have a break, but we're sitting under the tree. You know, hot day, and we're talking. And I said to David, I said. Mate, do you tithe? And he goes, yeah. And I went, should I be tithing? <laughs> and he goes, I don't know, it's your choice. And we had this discussion about giving to God what was his. And I said, how am I going to give to God what's his when I can barely feed my family from week to week? You ever experienced that? You don't have to put your hands up, but maybe not. So I'm not the only one in the room, or maybe I'm the only one in the room. And, and, and I was like, you know, my family, I hadn't quite erected that rail, right? My family were coming first, and then if I've got some left over, I'll give later, right? Nothing wrong with that, is there? Well, I thought this. And then we had this conversation, went around, 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 and I spat it out. <laughs> and then the very next week, I hear my first sermon on this. Believe it or not, what we're talking about today, what's been given to us. And I realized something pretty cool. See, I was mastered by money. I lived, I saved, and then I gave. And I thought that was cool. I lived. In other words, I spent my money, I consumed, you know, at that time at college it was like baked beans and toast, <laughs> if you're lucky, we might have had, you know, like a nice drink on Friday night, but we lived, saving didn't happen, because we had no money, and we definitely didn't give, we just lived, I was mastered by money, and I was beginning to worry about it, like it crept back in. I'm beginning to worry about money. 
And then this guy speaks how to master your money. He said, give first. What? Say second. And live on what's left over. I said, heck no. <laughs> how, how, do you know how much I get a fortnight? It's like, you know, it's nothing. By the time we buy food for four hungry mouths and one to come that was probably hungrier than the other four, it was like, what? And we grappled with this, Joy and I. And we made a call. And we decided to do this. Now, we don't have, we're kind of like, you know, this was still okay back in those days, give and save and live, like with the, with the bottles. And we started to do a bit of that. All right. I'm going to do it. Because we loved each other so much, we had our fifth child, um, Zachary, who was on his way. And she was sick again. She loves being sick while pregnant. And um, she needed special medication. And it was right around this time when I was living, saving, giving. And the medication was costing nearly all of the money it cost to food. And, and the doctors, we were just basically going backwards and forwards from the, from the emergency department. They'd give us the medication. She couldn't have the cheap medication because that was making her really sick. She had to have this other special medication that cost a lot of money that they give to cancer patients. And so she, it was like a high expense was, was there coming in. And I went, man, this is like... I'm at college, God, I'm doing your thing. Um, but like I'm struggling, I'd like to trust you. And I hear this sermon, I have Pastor David rattling around in my head, and I'm now giving, saving, living. And we've got no money to, to give this, this medication. And I remember we, we had this like amazing Friday night, we just prayed, God, we've got no food in the cupboard, but it's so good that Joy's home, you know, she has the medication. Who knows, like, maybe you could do something, <laughs> please. I was so, like, so young at faith. And, um, and we prayed. Man, we prayed, didn't we? And we prayed. And we had my good mate, Pastor Trevor, who's now pastoring at Pine Rivers. He was at college at the same time. He tells the story, side note, he tells the story that I followed him, but truth be known, we all know that Trev followed me, but just tell him that when you see him next. Yeah, all right? Anyway, it's kind of a funny thing we have between each other. We both went to college together, which was really neat. And um, Trev was working at the retirement home at, at college there. He was um, chaplaincing there, and this old lady has this night vision you know, save, well, wasn't much saving at that time, but live, and the rest were living. And this lady has this vision. There's this, she, I didn't, I never went, I never actually worked in the space, so I didn't know. And this lady had this vision that she had to give this money. She put this money in the envelope, and she gives it to Pastor Trev, and she goes, oh, do you know this guy, like, his name's Pastor Rick. Well, he's going to be Pastor Rick. He's just Rick now. He's just studying if he gets through college. Anyway, do you know this guy? And Trev goes, oh, yeah, I know this guy. <laughs> and gives this envelope. He has no idea what's in the envelope. Could be just a lovely little note. That's all he thinks. And then he gives this envelope. And Friday, we, we're like just praying the house down. We've got no food in the house. 
nothing whatsoever. We're just testing out this, you know, we're in the testing phase. And God just like, we open up and there's like thousands of dollars in his envelope. And I'm pretty soft-hearted. I do all the crying in the family. So I was crying. Joy was celebrating. The kids were yahooing. No baked beans tonight. <laughs> we still had baked beans <laughs> because they're cheap. And um, we, we were just praising God. And 10 minutes later, there's a knock at the door. And this person brings in like two boxes of food, like just full to the top. And now we're not having baked beans. We're actually having like vegetables. <laughs> yes. Eliza went, no. <laughs> and God just kept turning up. I'm so thankful because if that hadn't happened, I wonder what my faith would have been like. But God knew I think he needed some. Some of us need this. And so the principle of give juice to me, and it's the best principle that I could ever imagine could happen to anybody, and it happened to us, and I'm so thankful for it. And away went the worry. Because we could always go back to the story, right? But if this hasn't happened to you, you know, we're kind of like blessed that it happened to us. But if this hasn't happened to you, there's stories throughout Scripture where this happens all the time. Jesus would turn up to places and like people would just, there'd be food. They walked around with no food. No refrigerators back in that day, so they couldn't keep it. So it was all like whatever was available. And we can see in Matthew, let's turn to your Bibles. What are we going back to? I've kind of lost my space. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. That's it. That's where we're going. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 as we go over this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When I was serving money, God was second. The moment we put God first, things changed in our lives. And it was so cool. Like, it was amazing. And, and I love in this particular passage because he goes on further. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes on to break it down. And a little, like, few few minutes later, he goes, this is the result of it. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Because, like, clothes were super expensive in the day. And food was, couldn't be kept like we have today. Uh, you had to, like, you ate a lot of grains and there was plenty of like wine that was valuable to be kept. There are the only two things you could really keep back in the day. So food was expensive, clothing was expensive, and Jesus says to them, don't worry. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about what you wear. For the pagans run after all these things. And he slips his seat. For them, it was something that they would have really understood, first century culture. The pagans were, were ones that worshipped many gods and they would, you know, they were very, their gods were very, like, jealous and they, they were there out to really hurt. And Jesus is trying to say that the real God is not out to hurt, he's out to love and he's out to give. And it goes on to say, and your heavenly Father knows 
what that you need them. Your God knows what you need. He knows what you need. But, look out when there's a but coming. But, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. There it is. Don't worry. Seek first God, his kingdom, and his righteousness, the right way to live, the right way to do things. His kingdom is coming soon. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His is an other first, me second kingdom. Uh Uh-oh. I think I just said something. That's hard. He says, others first, me second. Jesus lived this. He was trying to teach his disciples how to do this, and it was the biggest frustration of his whole time here on earth. Others first, me second. Others first, me second. We see this on Storm Case, don't we, Pastor Neil? Because that's what Storm Co. is. Others first, me second. And we try to instill it. And as a result, when we go out to a Storm Co. and we instill this into young people and we say, we're not here for ourselves, we're here for the community. Others first, me second. And by the end of the thing that goes on that, any young person, any adult that goes on that comes home different. Because for the whole week, they're doing others first, me second. What? Come on now. It's got to be one amen out there. I'll do it. Amen. Others first, me second. And if you get nothing out of today, this is what it's all about. Others first, me second. And Jesus tried to instill this into his disciples and he got frustrated at times. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, as the Bible tells and he's heading towards Jerusalem, and his disciples are getting a little bit excited, right? This is toward the end of the ministry. His disciples are getting really excited because they believe they're about to witness the kingdom of God here on earth being set up. And they're like pumped. And they're talking amongst themselves, and Jesus leading the way. And Jesus just grabs the back of the conversation. Oh, I'm going to sit right next to God. No, I'm going to be on his left. I'm going to be his right. Because, you know, in their mind... They expected that when they get into Jerusalem, Jesus was going to take off his robe, he was going to put on his big M Messiah and his cape on, and he's going to fly over the city, set himself up, get rid of the Romans, set up the kingdom of God, all the stuff that he's been doing, and it'll be a new earth and a new place. And they were dreaming of this. And their first thought was, where am I going to sit in this kingdom? Oh, my word. Jesus I'm imagining, he's like frustrated. Uh, like, it doesn't say this, but probably pulls them aside, sticks them under a sycamore tree, sits them down, and we see this passage that he goes into, which is in Mark chapter 10, 42 to 45. Please turn with me, Mark chapter 10, 42 to 45. Um, and as he goes into what he wants to actually say to them, mm. 
you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Jesus, like, I love how he does it. He just like sits them down. Okay. Their officials exercise, exercise authority over them. So he's taking it back to a real world setting. He's trying to get them to see that, you know, there's Gentiles out there that lord it over others, you know, and that there's these guys that, you know, they exercise authority over them. But then he looks them in the eye and he goes, not so with you. You are my Christians. You are my followers. Not so with you. When you get into Jerusalem, we ain't going to lord it over anybody. Not so with you. Okay, God, what do, what do you want us, what are we going to do? Verse 44. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. This is not good. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give life as a ransom for many. And I imagine the disciples cringed as they read this. They went, what? And they remember that Jesus was speaking about a sacrifice that he was going to be. Even the Son of Man, Jesus, had to serve to show us the way and to give life so that we could all live. And the disciples, I'm sure, were like, man, what's going to happen? What's about to take place? This is not what I expected. Jesus showed how to serve the Father. And he's given us the example. Others first, me second. Others first, me second. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Ah, give, save, live. Give, save, live. That's what he's talking about. Man, imagine... Imagine if the world followed this. The entire world followed this model. Give, save, live. There would not be one hungry person on this earth. I'm so thankful to be part of a community here at Refresh that this is their mandate. You know, like all that... Giving that goes to give to others happens on a daily basis. Stuff that goes on that you mightn't even realise. There's food hampers that are going out at least weekly to people who are in need. And there's so many different ways that we can give here. No longer do we need that money jar set up. There's this really cool thing that we use, that we can use, and it's like Tithely app where we can give a percentage um, of our income that we're comfortable with. We can give that can bless others, and that blessing is then passed on to others. And, and you know, we live in a non-profit organisation, so every money that comes in goes out in some form or way to help someone in need. Give, save, live. And if we do that, it'll do crazy things for you. Because we look outside and we help outside of our own. Give, save, 
live. Put others first in your finance as evidence of devotion to God's other first kingdom. And he will take care of you. This is why I tithe, why I changed my motto of live, save, give to give, save, live. And it will be the greatest blessing for you as well. Give, save, live. And that's how we guard against greed. We put a guardrail up to stop us from hitting the wall. Give, save, live. It's my challenge for you today. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, I want to thank you, Lord, for your power, your awesome way that you just come to this earth and you trained a, a bunch of disciples who were struggling with this very motto, that others first, me second. Lord, help us as we go through our week this week, that we can think of others first, me second. Thank you for blessing each and every head that is bowed here today. And I know there are some that are in struggle street financially, and this is a difficult sermon to hear. I pray, Lord, that you rest on their soul, that you send your Holy Spirit just to help them to understand that there are others out here that can help them. And that's the beautiful thing about others first, me second, that sometimes when we're in need, that Others first mentality can bless even our own family and show that you are near us and your faith and your trust is right there. All we have to do is believe. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons of today. May you bless each and every head bowed here is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.